Hey, so uh, as you guys saw in the video here, we are continuing along with our Ask Alexa series here. Just to recap, we've been doing this all summer long. Uh, before summer came, we sent out some emails to you guys and put a survey in the app. You guys said all sorts of things. Hey, we want to know more about this and that, and there's so many cool things. And so we looked at all of that information together as a teaching team and said, cool, we're going to talk about this one and this one. And we saw Chris sent this one in, so we're going to ignore it. And we tried to pick all the things that we liked, right? And we put those together. We made this series called Ask Alexa to answer these questions with the big ideas. What is it that the Bible has to say about these topics? And we came with this, this theory behind it that who you ask shapes the answers. That we can get answers from any place in the world, but who we ask is actually going to dictate what that answer is. It's going to begin to shape that answer. And so we've moved through a lot this summer talking about everything from holiness to eternity and relationships all the way to marriage. And so if you've missed any of those, you can check them out on the North Point app or online and catch up with us. But today we're going to look at the other part of the next part that comes after marriage. We're going to talk about parenting this morning. We're going to talk about parenting. Now, uh, if you are an empty nester, or uh, you are single, or you don't have kids, when I said we're going to talk about parenting, you're like, cool, I'm going to play on Facebook. Boop, done, right? Uh, hang with us this morning. Okay, hang with me here this morning. I'll try not to be boring. There's some good stuff here for you, because maybe one day uh, you'll have kids of your own, uh, or if you don't have kids, man, you still have a responsibility to help out your brothers and sisters in Christ as they're, as they're trying to pour Jesus into their kids. Or if you're an empty nester, the reality is you are never done being a parent, right? So there's some way that this applies to all of us this morning. So don't tune out, but stay with me here this morning, and we're going to kind of chug through it here. Uh, as always, though, uh, we do every week, we are going to get some help from our friend Alexa. We know that she was actually on vacation last week. If you were here, she put an away message up there for us, but she is back this week. So we're going to see what our friend Alexa thinks about parenting. So, uh, Alexa. Oh, yeah. Well, hi, Alexa. Hey. <clears throat> Alexa, um, uh, you were on vacation up at the lake last week, right? How was that? It was a vacation with the kids. Nice. Nice. That had to be fun. I'm sure you guys did all sorts of new stuff and had laughter and memories and this, this family bonding, right? Yeah. Whining, crying, hitting, ignoring. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> all right, then. Well, I guess that's probably not something that you want to do again then, right? Well, actually, I would. I mean... <laughs> I know parenting is tough, but I love my kids. I mean, watching them grow and learn new things and becoming more responsible and more... So hey, put that down. Oh. <laughs> oh, you did not just roll your eyes at me. All right, well, um, Alexa. Excuse me, what did you say? Um, oh, I programmed you into this world and I can uninstall you out. <laughs> Oh, you think that's funny, do you? Oh, do you Alexa. think that's funny? Okay, well, you have just Alexa. lost your cell phone, your tablet, your computer, and anything else with a screen for the entire week. Alexa? What? 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 Never mind. Oh, don't you run away from me, sir. We are not done talking about your attitude. Wow. 
So even if you're a computer, parenting can be hard sometimes, right? Is there anybody that was watching that that was going, oh, I did that this morning, right? <laughs> right? Like some of us, we can relate. We can feel that a little bit there. Parenting can be tough. And as I was preparing to talk about this this morning, I was doing some research and I found this quote and I want to share it with you this morning. It says, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in the place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents' chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teacher. I did not find your blog, okay? <laughs> right? When you hear that, though, you're like, oh, yeah, right. That sounds about right. Like, we feel that about kids today. Here's the problem, though. This was written by a guy named Socrates around 400 B.C. Right? Oh, yeah, he had kids. Okay? I, I don't really know or not, right? But I read this, and what it tells me is that parenting has been tough for at least around 2,500 years or so, okay? That we know these things have been going on. And I may even argue that parenting has actually gotten tougher. That it's not gotten easier as time goes by, but it actually becomes increasingly more difficult as we go through. And the reason that I believe that is because we live in a world that is changing all the time. That culture changes fast today. Now, what was big news this morning, what was trending on Twitter, what everybody was talking about, the issue that mattered is old news by dinner, that things are changing all the time, and that we live in a world where everybody has a voice, where everybody gets to share an opinion, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's nice or mean or whatever it is, everybody has a voice. Everybody gets to share that voice, and that things like technology has shrunk the world around us. My parents live uh, four and a half hours away down in Cincinnati, and so I actually get to use technology. I use FaceTime to talk to them about once a week, and I love talking to my mom because she starts uh, with her iPad, and she's talking to me, and we're having a great conversation, and I get a look at her, and about five minutes later in the conversation, that iPad begins to shrink, and by the end of the conversation, I get to see what's up my mom's nose. And I'm ready to get off the phone. But I love talking to my mom, right? Technology has shrunk the world where we can communicate with people all over the place. And that it's easy at just our fingertips. We have a Google's worth of information. I can type in something and have an answer like that. I don't have to wonder anymore. I don't have to be curious anymore. It's just there. We have a Google's worth of information. And the reality is that this is the norm for our kids. This is the norm for our kids. They understand the struggle of spending 20 minutes going through Netflix trying to figure out what to watch, but they have no idea what it's like to spend 20 minutes walking through Blockbuster wondering what it's like to watch, right? They're still curious why we even have a home phone, and they have no idea what your answering machine was used for, okay? These things are the norm. Our culture, our society, everything about us has begun to change. And this is the norm for kids today. So how do we raise kids in a world that is full of fast-paced, always changing information that's coming from the opinions of people all around the globe? How do we raise kids in a world that is drastically different almost every single day? 
One method that I've heard about here is, is we need to inform our kids. We need to just give them more information. That the more we tell them, the more, more information we give them, the more stuff we give them, the more, the better the experience. If we give them the best education and, and the best experiences and the best trips and the best clothing and the best technology, then they will become the best. We've just got to give them all sorts of information and experiences and we just got to pour that into them. And when they have that, then they'll get it. Then they'll become the best. That's how we need to raise our kids. That's how it needs to be. But the reality is that's just not true. That's just not true. As I was listening to some other pastors speak on on parenting, uh, one of my favorite pastors said this quote. He said, children don't need information, but interpretation. Children don't need information, but interpretation. The reality is your kids know what is going on in the world around them. Instagram told them, and they saw a video on it on YouTube. They know the information. They know what's happening around them. And in fact, this happens younger than you think. I'm not just talking about high schoolers here. This isn't just teenagers, but there's some kids in elementary that know this, that have these things. Basically, once they get a screen, once they get a phone, once they sit in front of a computer or a TV, they begin taking in that information. And information is everywhere around them all the time. The trouble's not with the information, but the interpretation. What they need is help clarifying how do all of these things fit into the gospel? How do all these things fit into the gospel? In other words, what does God have to say about injustice or sex or money or relationships? They have that information that's coming to them already, but they don't necessarily know what to do with that. It's not about information, but interpretation. So then how do we parent with this idea of interpretation in mind? How do we parent with interpretation? If you have uh, the North Point app or a Bible app with you or a hard Bible, just open that up this morning, uh, Colossians chapter 3 here, and we're going to find that out. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to start in Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians is a letter uh, written by the missionary and apostle Paul to the church, uh, the Colossian church. And what he's done here is he's given them uh, rules or guidance in this chapter for a Christ-following home. That if you want to be a household that serves and knows and worships God, these are the things that you guys need to know and these are the things that you need to do. And, and right before this section, Paul, is, he's talked to uh, husbands and wives. And he's told, hey, how is a husband and a wife to treat one another? How are they supposed to get along? And the reason that Paul starts with that is because Paul knows that the relationship between mom and dad, between the husband and the wife, is foundational to a family. That this is God's original plan all the way back in Genesis when he created man and woman. That he was going to be able to spread his love and his message and who he was through mom and dad. That it was all going to start in the home. That this was part of God's original plan. Now I say that, and we've got some of you guys are sitting here this morning going, hey, that would have been super to know before, but I'm a single parent now. I'm divorced, I'm whatever it may be. How is that going to help me? I'm, I'm done, like that's it. If that's God's plan, I'm out of God's plan, it's not going to work anymore. Let me, hear this. Hear this, where the gaps are there where there may be whatever cause that's there, where there are gaps, God's grace shows up. You are not done ever because you missed it here or something happened to you here. Where there are gaps in this, God's grace shows up to fill those gaps. You are not done, but God can work even more in those situations. 
So as we're talking about this, uh, he moves from this section of talking to mom and dad, and we're going to pick up here. He moves to this the parent-child relationship here in verse 20. It says this, it says, children, obey your parents in everything. Don't you wish there was a period right there, right? Just obey in everything. Like the Bible says so, period, we're done. That's it. That's all you need to know. Obey in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul here is kind of given a nod or a little Easter egg all the way back to uh, Exodus. When God established the Ten Commandments to Moses. So he had these Ten Commandments that were really more about two commandments. And, and he gave them to Moses and he gave them and he said, Hey, these are the rules that are going to dictate how people who are my followers are to live their life in this world. How they are going to spread me to the rest of the world. And the first four of those commandments dealt with our relationship with God. Love God with all that we are. Uh, have no other gods before him. Don't take his name in vain. Like worship and be all about God. And then the last six of those were about our relationships with others. And this is the one Paul's talking about here is the first one of those last six. Number five here. And it starts with the family. And it's interesting to me that when God, God is putting down ground rules for how we are to treat other people, he starts with the family. Because family is foundational. And family can be the hardest to get along with at times. But he starts with the family here. I think Paul puts it a little bit better uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Uh, But he says the same thing that he said in Colossians here, but a little bit differently, a little more in-depth here in Ephesians chapter 6, the first four verses. And he says this in verses 1 and 2. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise. So we're going to talk to kids here for a second, okay? We're going to talk to you guys here. Paul is telling us that there are two commands for kids. All right, now who's a kid? You guys, right? Like all of us are kids at some level, right? You know, maybe a little older at this point in time, but you have a mom, you have a dad, you're a kid. So this applies to all of us at some level. And the first thing he says is to obey. Obey. And the best way I can, can help you to understand this is to put it this way. If mom and dad still provide for you, you still listen to mom and dad. Right? If mom and dad are taking care of you, if they're providing food for you, if they're paying for your insurance, uh, if they're driving you around, if they are still over top of you, and biblically, you are to obey mom and dad. Now, if you don't like that, there is an alternative. Move out. <laughs> okay? It happens. It's not all it's cracked up to be, but that's what it takes, okay? So if you are put in this position, and the reason is because God has put it that way. God has said, these are the people that are here to take care of you. These are the people I've entrusted with your care, with your well-being, and to help you in this life. And so you are to obey them because, contrary to popular belief, they actually know a few things, okay? So if you are under mom and dad's house, mom and dad are still paying for stuff, obey, Listen to mom and dad or move out. Not a bad alternative, okay? The second thing, now this goes for everybody. This one never, ever goes away, and that is to honor. Honor. What does that mean? What does it mean to honor mom and dad? I think the best way we can put it here is this. It says don't talk bad about mom and dad, no matter what age you are. Because it's not just teenagers that have stories about mom and dad, right? It's not just teenagers. We all have some stories at times. So don't talk bad about them. Don't ignore mom and dad. Don't belittle them, but rather hold them up in reference and reverence. 
Hold up, mom and dad. Lift up, mom and dad. Now, when I say that, that's extremely tough for a few of us. Because when I say, hey, you need to hold up your mom or you need to hold up your dad in reverence, you're going, are you kidding me? Do you know my parents? For teenagers, you're thinking, look, my dad still wears socks with his sandals. How am I supposed to do that? That is not happening, right? I don't know what to tell you on that one, okay? I really don't have an answer. But for some of us, we hear that and we're thinking, how am I supposed to give reverence to my dad when he wasn't even there? How do I honor a guy who wasn't even there? And it hurts. It's genuine and it's real. And it's extremely tough because as we're going to see later in verse 4, because your parents didn't do their part, how are you supposed to honor them there? I think the answer is this. You honor them by being better. You honor them by being better. That even if they didn't earn it, even if they didn't do their part, you can still be respectful, still be kind, still be forgiving, not just to them, but to your kids, to the people that you're around. And you can be better than they were. And this applies to all ages. This isn't just for kids that are in elementary or your teenager who's not really listening right now anyway, this applies to every phase of life. And I gotta be honest, guys, this one hit home for me because I've watched my parents give honor to their parents. These past few years, I have watched my mom and my dad each begin to usher their mothers out of this world. And it blew me away. Because I watched them do things that were draining emotionally, that were draining on their time, that were draining on their finances. I watched them sacrifice for, their, for watching my grandparents as they were leaving this world. And it burdened me and it hurt me. And I would, I would constantly ask mom and dad, hey, how are you guys doing? Are you okay? Like, this has got to be tough. This has to be a burden. And they would always tell me, hey, this is tough. It hurts, it's tough, but it's not a burden, it's an honor. It is an honor for me to be able to love my mom now. Yeah, she's, she's slipping. She's not quite what she used to be anymore. She needs a little more care. There are things that we can't do because we're taking care of them, but man, it is an honor to lift them up. And I remember I stepped back and was just in awe. And I thought, man, I hope I can honor my parents one day the way that they're honoring my grandparents. That is incredible to me. The example that they get to set. Be that example for your kids. Even if you didn't have a home where your parents deserved the honor, show them what it's supposed to be like. Be better. Honor your mother and your father. It tells us this here. Oh tells us this here in verse 3. It says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is uh, what they're saying comes from if you obey and then you honor. When we obey, we get this promise. It's not necessarily a guarantee, but it's a principle. And what it means is that if you obey and honor mom and dad, kids, that they're not going to kill you, okay? No, I'm just kidding. That may be a little true. But what it means is that you begin to set up a legacy, You're setting up a legacy here that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land that what you do, how you treat your kids, what you pour into them, when you show them honor, when you show them what obedience is like, you are setting a legacy in motion for generations to come. We're going to see why that's important later on. Verse 4 
<clears throat> this is where we get into the, the parenting portion. All right, we'll quit picking on kids for a second here. Verse 4, it says, Fathers, and we're talking about not just dad, but mom and dad, but dad, you're the, whole, you're the head of the household, so you lead. You show how things go. This is a mom's job. Mom's job is not to raise the kids. You have to be a part of it. You don't just get to work and come home and watch TV. You have to be engaged as well. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're getting to the parent's job here. And remember, this isn't about information, but interpretation. Kids don't need more information. They need interpretation. So you have the amazing responsibility to begin to shape the emotional the social and the spiritual formation of another human being toward Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. As a parent, you have the amazing responsibility to shape the emotional, social, and spiritual formation of another human being toward Jesus. That's huge. That's huge. And the reality is, that is your responsibility, not the school's. The school isn't the one who gets to shape your child. That club or team that they're on doesn't get to shape your child. And how about this one? The church, it's not their responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to shape your child. But you uniquely, God has positioned you and put little tiny human beings inside of your life to shape them to mold them, and to direct them towards Jesus. He says one of the ways that we do that, he says, first of all, don't provoke to anger. Don't provoke to anger. What does that look like to provoke to anger? Because honestly, my kids are emotional, and they get angry over the smallest thing. How am I supposed to not? It's like having a little ticking time bomb with me everywhere I go. They're two years old. They're always angry, right? So how do we deal with that? What does it mean not to provoke to anger? I believe it means this. It says, don't put your kids in a no-win situation. Don't put your kids in a no-win situation. I heard a friend of mine talking about this story with his, his son one time. They were, getting, they were eating dinner, and, and as they're eating and kind of talking, he looks out in the yard, and he realizes that the grass hasn't been cut. Well, that's his son's job, right? They, they've talked about different duties and responsibilities in the house, and he's told him, he said, look, man, what are you doing? That grass is not cut out there. It's been three days. You need to get out there and cut the grass. And so his son gets up and he starts to walk away from the dinner table. He goes, no, oh, where do you think you're going right now? Don't just leave your plate here for your mom or me to clean up. You need to get that plate and you need to put it in the, over there in the dishwasher and clean everything off. So he goes and he gets his plate and he puts it in there and, and he goes and he puts his shoes on to go in the grass and cut the grass and he looks up and the father sees his room and it's a mess and he goes, what are you doing, boy? Your room is a mess. What do you think you're doing? And I said, well, what happened to your son? What was, go- what was going on in his mind? Like, what was he feeling? And he said, it was kind of funny to watch because every time I'd say something, he'd go, huh? Okay. Right, right. And he's just running in circles all around trying to figure out what it was. And he said, and I realized at that moment, I am provoking my kid to anger. That he can't do anything right. That everything I ask him to do, everything I'm, I'm putting more and more on him from time to time, but I'm not talking with him. I'm not interpreting with him. I'm just pushing him to get things done. And I'm putting a standard that he can't meet. And I thought, man, that's, that's pretty dead on at times. That it's easy to just say, do this, do that, do this, do that. And you're pushing back and forth. But 
you're not putting your kids in no-win situations. And the reality is, as I began to process that and I began to think through that, I thought, man, how is it that my heavenly father parents me? How does God not put me in these no-win situations? And I began to think through it and I thought, man, I got a God that is full of grace. I've got a God that, that has discipline. Yeah, there's times where, man, he comes by and he says, Jake, you shouldn't have done that and slaps me on the back of the head. Don't slap your kids on the back of the head, by the way, right? And there's discipline involved. And, and when I make bad choices, he doesn't necessarily rescue me out of those choices, but there are consequences to my actions. And I got a God who gives me multiple chances. At the first time I forget to cut the grass or the first time I mess up, he's not there just to hammer on me. But he lets me try again and again and again. And I got a God who is much more patient than I deserve. And I thought, man, that's, that's what that means, not to provoke to anger. That's what interpretation looks like. It's grace. It's discipline. It's patience. This verse tells us that as parents, we're not to provoke to anger, but we're to give discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. The reality is, as parents, we need to give both it's not discipline or instruction, it's, it's both. And the fact that if we give all discipline and we give no instruction, all we're doing is discouraging our kids. They have no idea what we want, but we're constantly on them for not doing it right, and they're discouraged. All discipline and no instruction. But if we give all instruction and we give no discipline, then we wind up raising kids that are just foolish. They hear what we have to say, but it, who cares? Who cares? There's no discipline there. There's, there's no direction on there. And so they just do whatever they want to do. And so that's why we need both discipline and instruction. Because the reality is this, guys. From the moment your kid is born until graduation, you have around 936 weeks. 936 weeks. And they go fast. They Go fast. Anybody, ask anybody in here whose kid is graduating from high school this past spring, and they will tell you it went by like that. And of those 936 weeks, you as the parent are the primary influence in your child's life. In fact, if we run the statistics here, uh, statistics tell us that parents have about 3,000 hours a year that they have direct time and can pour into their kids. And in comparison, the church has about 40 hours a year. 40 hours a year. So we've got a parent with the primary at 3,000 in the church with about 40 hours a year. So if the church has such limited time, what's their job? What's their purpose when it comes to helping kids? We care a lot about this at North Point. We have multiple conversations. We've got an incredible team of people that are pouring into your kids right now down the hall and downstairs and loving on them in incredible ways. But we know that as parents, man, you guys need support, that you need help, that there's a lot of questions about what to do. And so the first thing that we've encouraged everybody to do is to be in a life group. 
to be in a life group. And this amazing thing happens in life group is when you are sitting down and you're talking with somebody else and they begin to tell this story about how their kid is throwing a temper tantrum and is screaming and yelling and is going all over his place and they're ready to pull their hair out and you go, oh, I'm not the only one, right? And you realize, I'm not alone in this. There's somebody else that's kid is crazy too. Do you guys want to trade for a weekend and see what happens? Like you begin to realize that. And you begin to find out, hey, what happened for you? What did you do on this? And you begin to have this, this, um, this relationship and get ideas. And you get encouragement. Because there's times as a parent that you walk through and you are just exhausted. You come home from work to an ungrateful kid and you are drained. And life group is an incredible way for somebody to come in there, put their arm around you and say, you are doing a great job. Don't stop. Don't stop shaping. Don't stop interpreting. Don't stop investing. You are doing a good job. We need life groups in our life. The other thing that the church can do to help you is we have small group leaders for your kids. Whether they are in kindergarten or a senior in high school, they have the ability to get connected with another adult outside of your home that is going to love on them and pour on them in incredible ways. If there's anything I've learned in my time in youth ministry, it's this. Parents, their kids don't always listen to their parents, right? We know this. But at some point in time, your kid is going to come home and he's going to say, Mom, can you believe what Ron told me today? And you're going to go, I have been saying that for months. But Captain Ron shows up and gets all the credit here, right? And the reality is, the older your kids get, there's going to be this phase called the teenage years where you're just not cool anymore. Cool goes out the door a long time ago, okay? But when they, Ron shows up and he tells them the same things that you've been trying to pour into him, it's like, whoa. And it begins to click. That there has to be other people that are coming along and saying the same things that you are. And we want to provide that in these small group leaders. And I truly believe with all of my heart that these amazing teams and volunteers that are down the hall pouring into your kids are the greatest people in the world. We've got a lot of cool teams around North Point, and I'm a little biased because I am the family life minister, but all because I'm biased doesn't mean I'm wrong, okay? (laughs) If you want to be connected to the greatest group of people ever and make the biggest impact, be a part of that team. Be a part of that team because not only are you pouring Jesus into the life of a child or a teenager, but you are allowing their parents to come into this room and get loved on and poured into as well. You're getting twice the effect. Now we do a lot of amazing things and I'm not belittling tech team or band or anybody else who does these awesome things, but man, I believe wholeheartedly that that is one of the greatest opportunities to make a difference in the life of a family by plugging in and serving in those areas. And then we do these other things. Uh, you, you're going to continue to get uh, emails and take-homes. Uh, if you walk downstairs today, hopefully with your kid, they're going to have a little take-home sheet that, that's going to go with them. And you're going to find out what is it that we talked about today. And it's going to have little tips and ideas that you can sit down and spend time with your kid talking about these lessons and getting their ideas. And they're going to say, oh, Mr. Vic did this really crazy, silly thing because Mr. Vic does all these really crazy, silly things. And he told us this lesson today. And you get to talk through that. It's a tangible way, a tangible discussion starter with your kid where you can begin to shape Jesus in their life even more. And then we've created, found some other materials and things. And uh, we're going to show this picture up here. <coughs> this is called the Parent Q app. The Parent Q app, Q app. Obviously, we're big on apps around here at North Point, okay? But this one here, I think, is awesome. 
You download this on your phone, it gets your email address or something like that, and then you simply put in your kid's birthday. Little Jimmy is 12 years old, he was born in December, so on and so forth. And what the Parent Q app does is it updates itself every single week based on the phase that your kid is in. So it will send you push notifications and keep updating every week to say, this week your kid is in junior high and they are going through all sorts of changes and this is what it's like for them. And these are things that you need to keep in mind. And here's some scripture verses to encourage you. And here's an activity you can do with your kid. Tangible resources. So if you're going, I don't know how to connect to my kid. I don't know how to shape my kid closer to Jesus. Here's one way to give you something tangible in your hand that you're going to carry around with you all the time. Take five minutes, open it up, read it, and bam, you've got ideas of things that you can do to begin to shape into your child's life. And then this past week, we also created a work on the parent wall. The parent wall. And if you dropped your kids off through our our C entrance and you snuck in over on the right side, you see that we are hanging up right now the parent wall. And what we've got on there today are is called phases. Phases. And we took this from the curriculum that we use all the way from kindergarten through graduation here. And what it does is it takes your child's age or grade and it's got all sorts of information for you. Everything about uh, what they're going through uh, emotionally for this age socially for this age, physically for this age, spiritually for this age, mentally for this age, all these things, all this information is poured into you. And as you read it, you'll begin to look in there and see, oh my goodness, my kid is not crazy. They're just 13. What? Right? And there's this huge cards and we tell you, hey, read the big card, take home the small card as a reminder. And it's going to have all sorts of information. Take a few minutes after you drop your kid off, read through that, and you're going to find some incredible information. Now, it's not anything that is groundbreaking or brand new, but when you read it, it's just a reminder in your head to go, oh man, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. And we do things like this. We do all of these things because we recognize and realize that the church is here to boost the shaping that you are doing and to provide shaping tools. That you as parent are the primary influence and our job is to boost the shaping and to provide shaping tools. Now why do we care? Why is this such a big deal? If we jump back in the Old Testament to Judges chapter 2, we see here that, uh, that Joshua, who was given by God after Moses to lead people out of, of their wandering and establish a nation. And Joshua begins to look around and, and he tells everybody, even though they're, they're, they're beginning to worship other gods and struggle with other things, he says, look, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. All right, their leader says, we are going to be all about what God wants. And that generation, Joshua's generation got behind him and said, man, that's incredible. We want to do that too. It says this here in verse 6 and 7. It says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. They all spread out and began making homes. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, this entire generation that's serving and knowing and loving God. And they had seen the great work that the Lord had done himself. A generation knew God. They saw his work and they worshipped him. And then verse 9 It says, and they buried him, talking about Joshua, within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That generation that knew and worshipped and served God has now moved on. They've now died and passed away. And then this is where the heartbreak comes in. The second part of verse 10. It says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. 
The hard truth is this, guys. We are one generation away from not knowing the Lord. What you do as a parent, the shaping, the interpreting, the investing matters. Because the reality is you have to shape your children's interpretation of the world around them. Or else we will wind up with a generation that does not know the Lord or the works that he has done. Truth is this. Either you begin to shape that interpretation for your child or somebody else will. Joshua said it best. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.